Welcome back to the second podcast of Dropkicks. Uh, it's amazing that we have a second podcast, just because mainly the Blackjack Bandit doesn't reside in the Garden City. So, here we are. Uh, you got a few words, the old bandito? Yeah, I think uh, the most amazing thing about this is that we've now recorded, uh, this is our second podcast in six hours. Um, and that's what I describe as efficiency. And that's the most efficient I've really ever been in my life. So... Um, I hope all our loyal fans are really happy with us and I hope you're ready for some more contentious takes, debates and general tomfoolery. Yeah, well the first one is certainly contentious. Um, we watched the NBA, we watched the only the second half because we were recording in the first half, which is pretty wild in itself. Um, but one of the hot takes we got to was Steph Curry's a cuck. Would you like to elaborate? <laughs> Look, I don't even think that's a hot take. I think it's pretty well known uh, that Steph Curry is a enormous raging cuck. Um, as pointed out by a good friend, Tyler McGroby, in one of the various group chats we reside in, um, Steph Curry, for the past five years he's been in the finals, has complained about being injured in some capacity. And um, this just seems like a really convenient excuse to explain why he's shit in the finals every single year. Uh, you know, I could accept if he broke his finger or whatever and, you know, two of the five finals, even three of the five finals, you know, one year he could have done his knee or whatever. But it's just always this niggly, stupid shit and he's just regresses massively when he actually needs to be good. I mean, today, when um, Clay went out with his tight hammy, and Katie wasn't playing, it wasn't Steph that stepped up, it was DeMarcus. And that's just insane. He claims to be a top five player in the world. He is the best shooter of all time. And it's just ridiculous that when it actually matters, he can't step up and perform at his peak. He always, always regresses to just be worse. And, and one of the things today was whenever he fouled, and they were blatant fouls. It was never really contentious. He would complain. And he just... <laughs> there was one time when he grabbed Carl Lowry and it was literally... He tackled the guy. It would have been a great tackle in rugby. Yet, he complained that it was a foul. And the tech he got, the tech was ridiculous. I think he must be one of the most contentious players in the NBA at the moment. I mean, like... Throwing the ball up in the air is the equivalent of kicking the ball away when you get blown up for a foul in football. And to then complain about that is ridiculous. I mean, what are you expecting? You're up... I think they were up nine at that point. And he very nearly... Well, I mean, he did. He put the Raptors right back in that game. And if it wasn't for the Iguodala three very late, that would have been a real sweat in the end of that game. So, I don't know, I just think he is such a whiny little bitch, honestly. Um, and ever since he got all these accolades, you know, the two MVPs and the, the, I don't know, how many rings has he got now? He's on, I think he's got three rings now. It's a joke, he... He can't claim to be a top five player. I think in his heart he believes he's the best player in the NBA, and that's just not true. 
You can't act like that. You can't jeopardise your team by doing stupid shit every game, just whining and whining and disappearing when you actually need to be good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly an interesting topic, um, especially as the finals will go on. And in my opinion, the Raptors will win. You just definitely disagree. And so you've got a bit of money riding on the disagreement. But, yeah, and today was one of those bizarre ones where he had the opportunity to really take the game by the scruff of the neck. There's no Clay, no KD. He's the best player on the court. And he ended up just complaining the whole time. And there was no real reason for it. And DeMarcus ended up getting, I guess, I don't really know if there isn't a man of the match in the NBA, but DeMarcus was by far and away the best player on the court today. And that was just because no one else stepped up on the Warriors and they ended up winning. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I disagree that he was the best player on the court. Kawhi's the best player on the court. In my opinion, Kawhi's now, at this point, the best player in the world. Um, but, yeah, I mean, everything else about that take is right. I mean, he needs to be able to take that game by the scruff of the neck. This is his fifth finals in five years, and he still just does not perform when he needs to, like he does in the regular season. It is ridiculous at this point, and... When KD inevitably leaves at the at the end of the season, they're fucked. They're not going to win another ring because they've no. Okay, that's a hot take, but it's true. They like they've regressed to the point where, although Steph is the most popular player on that team, he will never be able to step up when it actually matters and take the game of the scruff of the neck and win it by himself. He needs that supporting cast now. And as Draymond continues to regress, um, I mean, Clay, Clay can get hot, but in terms of creating his own shot, he can't do that. Steph Curry needs to do that if the Warriors are going to sustain the success, and I just don't see it. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. I'm not a big basketball fan myself, but Watching the game today, it was very obvious where we're coming from. And I think for someone that good who will go down as one of the best all-time players, you just can't complain that much. It's just as simple as that. And it kind of leads on to our next point. Uh, not really, but it, it is the best. We're talking about the best all-time players. And if he was a politician, God, he'd get nothing done. He just wouldn't be involved at all. Imagine him sitting on the back benches for New Zealand First or Labour and just complaining about policies the whole time. And so it kind of leads us into our next point, is we had a good debate driving down to Dunedin. Um, if you listen to the first podcast, we discuss extensively our time in Dunedin, uh, including Tiplers, a great bar and establishment. But we were thinking, we had a good debate on who's the most likely New Zealand athlete to become Prime Minister. Now... That is a it's a bloody good debate. I think New Zealand's one of those countries where sport is is our national identity, and I just wrote an essay on that, so I could spout off about how rugby, the Olympics, and the America's Cup has helped us. But who would be in in Tom and in, uh, in the Blackjack Bandit's opinion, who would be your prime minister if you had to pick any New Zealand sportsman of all time? Well, this is an interesting debate, and it's it's a lot more real than people like to um, like to make out. Because I mean, um, Imran Khan is the prime minister of Pakistan. Um, there is a world where 
there would have been a possibility where Arnold Schwarzenegger would have become the president of the US. Well, you got a Klitschko that's the mayor of Kiev. So that kind of just shows you that the politicians in sport are mixed. And it's as simple as that. New Zealand is a country where sport is the number one thing. So who would be the most likely sportsman to be politician? Well, um, I mean, there's an easy cop-out answer with Mark Richardson, but he's a bit too contentious a human being to become Prime Minister, I think. I mean, he is attacked in the media probably weekly at this point. I think um, when you run through the All Blacks, um, the the former really popular All Blacks, you got Richie McCaw, you got Dan Carter, I just think they're... Two sort of invested into their own thing to do that. I think the one who could really make a push for that is Stephen Fleming. Um, I just think media personality-wise, obviously, he's remained popular with the Fujitsu ads after his career, and I just think he's genuinely sort of remained in the limelight while all the other really popular sportsmen have sort of just gone and done their own thing as I say um, and I think a cricketer definitely is probably more suited to the role of a politician in general Well, on that point I was just thinking before an Olympian would be the most likely New Zealand Prime Minister you've got someone who is the darling or you know, the hero of the nation, and they're in the public eye uh, for every four years, which is more or less when an election is. Um, and they are someone that the whole country can relate with. You know, no one, for cricket, rugby and football, you've got a lot of divide between all those sports. People either love them or they hate them, whereas the Olympics, everyone seems to jump behind an athlete. So I was, when we were discussing this, I was thinking of Barbara Kendall would be a good shout. She's been in the IOC committee, so she's had experience at a governing level. Um, but also just any really athlete that competes solely at the Olympics. It just has a, a national demand for their ability and their command. And I think that is kind of more where it's at, where Stephen Fleming, yes, he's charismatic and he's in the public eye, but he's a cricketer. And people, some people hate cricket. So I feel like that would play against him. I don't know what you think, but... Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a really good point, and that's much better justified than my point, to be honest. But I, I don't know. I think a lot of those Olympic athletes also um, they'll have their fifteen minutes of fame, and then they'll just quietly disappear. And there's been so many instances of that. I mean, think of the kids that literally just won the uh, the medals at the Winter Games for um, the snow sports, the skateboarding, and the skiing um and honestly i can't really remember all their names already um and that might also be a winter olympic thing you know we're not that huge on that in new zealand um but certainly yeah a a barbara kendall or someone of the like who's had that sort of experience could probably do a job there but i i stick by my stephen fleming point just because he is charismatic and he's remained in the frame this whole time. And, yeah, I mean, looking around the world, you've got Imran Khan, and, yes, he is, um, that's the national sport in Pakistan, but I think it's not that contentious of a take to say that the Black Caps are our second most popular um, 
national team and yeah I think he's got the pedigree to sort of carry him through in an election or a political circumstance yeah well cricket is especially our second sport just because of its place in our seasons what you know what competes with it we got the tennis but that's literally one month a year where everyone's excited about the ASB Classic or Open and then you got the Australian Open quite close after so no one really cares about tennis that can be contentious if someone listens to this and loves tennis we might hear about it but realistically cricket's our summer sport and rugby's our winter so you're kind of rolling between the two so I understand where you're coming from it does make a good point however that club sport and local sport is just the elite level of sport especially in New Zealand where you've got the ability to go down and watch this the high level sport and sit on the sideline just chat absolute shit and drink. And I think that is the elite level of sport you want to be, you know, you want to aspire to be at that level. Yeah, I mean, uh, coming from Wellington, obviously, there's usually a bit of travel between the clubs. Um, but here in the South Island, especially, I've noticed in Christchurch and Dunedin, um, they turn a real blind eye to drinking on the sidelines. And that's a huge positive when you can just rock up with a box of lime brown. Um, and chat shit on the sidelines of a of a club sport game, um, and obviously geographically in Christchurch everything's flat, everything's pretty close, and there's so many clubs. I mean, even within walking distance of where we are right now. I mean, we walked to a, a football game, or where we thought was a football game today. Uh, we found out that it was at a different ground, but I mean. I I completely agree. It is the elite level of sport in New Zealand, and it's also because we're such a small nation, um, we're always going to have these these amateur athletes that just rise through the ranks and become household names eventually. Yeah, well, you got your local local heroes. So uh, on our, our trip back from Dunedin, we got uh, rerouted, uh, unfortunately, to Kurau. And close to Omarima, and in Omarima, New Zealand, the, probably the greatest ever New Zealand, I think, is the debate uh, Richard McCaw's from. So you drive through there, it, it's quite blatant that Richard McCaw grew up there. Um, people are proud of who comes from their town, and and local sport do that. You know, where you got your local hero, you got your guy who played 150 Prem games, or you got your Corey Janes, who are from Upper Hutt, played for Upper Hutt, and now. Well, he, you know, he has been an all-black. So you've got these guys that are at that level, the elite level, and people are really proud of that. I mean, yeah, just on that point, as you say, I mean, even in Kurau, there was a massive buddy statue of Richie McCall there, and he's not even from there. He's from the neighbouring town. Um, and also, from my own experience, um, in Cannons Creek at the North's Rugby Club room, Jerry Collins Memorial Park, um, there's a massive billboard of TJ Perinara there he's still a current um, All Black um, and I think he's showed out for Norths when he needs to not as an All Black but while he was you know sort of a fringe yeah um, yeah I just think that New Zealand maintains that sort of community oh, the communal sporting sort of identity and that's something that's really awesome about New Zealand sports culture in general that we can can hold that and that these really elite amateur athletes can rise to the top and become, you know, achieve their dreams, especially in something like rugby or cricket. Um, 
and I hope that that never goes away because that's something that's really really unique to New Zealand I think yeah and another again we're just these the segues are out the gate the another great thing about New Zealand is our horse racing and our our I guess our racing culture and as a part of that you've got all these little clubs spread out around the country and you turn on trackside on a Saturday and you see all these different races and places you've never heard of and kind of leads us into our uh, Sanjay Cooper contentious call of the week we were just sitting at the at a great establishment which we'll get to in a second but a horse got beaten by a nose and it was a real real bad beat again another thing we'll get on to but it was a real tough scene. You just horses, horse racing is great, and so don't get me wrong. But when you get beaten by a nose, it's just it's a it's a hard thing to take. I think it's one of those things that can go either way. And and the Blackjack Bandit and I know that through the Wellington Cup, where we we tipped a, a great deal of horses, and not only one, just one in particular stuck with us, and or stuck with us rather. And Enzo's lad is just. It's got a special place in our heart, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, Enzo's lad, um, if I could marry an animal, it would be Enzo's lad. Um, that day will always hold a special moment in my heart. Um, that horse was paying a shit ton to win. I think it it was it was $20 plus odds to win, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure it was at 34 And like, $34 for a horse to win that had won the same race. I think it was the Telegraph, wasn't it? I've got the book upstairs. I can't be bothered going upstairs. That's a long way to go. Uh, just to clarify, Enzo's Lance race. But uh, I think it was paying $34 and had won the race the year before. So it had the pedigree to do it again and not just repeat, but double up on its victory. And going up into that last post, she was a pretty close one. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll never forget it that we were positioned, um, I don't know, maybe 100 metres from the finish line, um, and we could see it making a charge. We had, I don't know, probably only $5 on the win, maybe, if that. Um, okay, well, yeah, we had 10 each way. Um, and we just saw it charging to the finish line, and we thought, holy shit, no way we've done this. And then we saw it, we saw it pip the other horse on the nose and I think we were the only ones that realised that it had won and it took about five minutes for the provisional results to, to come through that it confirmed that we were elite horse tippers on that day. Well, I think in general we're just elite horse tippers but that day really just kind of tipped us over. Uh, you've got a little iceberg, you know, it goes real deep under the water but we're at the tip on that day and, and, and real continued since. And I think uh, just the fact that we knew we'd got nailed it and we had a mate who thought he'd tipped the second place or, well, what would end up being the second place, but he thought he'd tipped the winner. And, you know, you just don't go against the Blackjack Bandit. I think it's as simple as that. I think that's the rule you need to follow in your horse racing. Uh, there's an especially special week in the uh, in November. Uh, I would invite any listener down to the Christchurch uh, Cup Week, New Zealand Cup and Show, um, and we can kind of we'll give you a first-hand account of how it's done. I think that's really where we're going with this. I think if you want to come down to Addington or Rickerton, feel free. 
Look, I think people will think we're chatting absolute shit here, but honestly, that Wellington Cup day, I think we tipped eight of the ten races correctly, and that's that is insane. Um, the only reason I didn't make more money is because I got absolutely fucked up and um, kept betting horses each way when the place was playing less than two dollars, so I was actually losing money. Um, but honestly. I think, I've said this before, not on this podcast, but to my good friend Bamba, um, if you merged our brains into one brain, I think we'd be the smartest person alive, um, especially in terms of horse tipping. Well, I mean, we would, we'd have a job, and one of us has got a job lined up, and the other hasn't, so that would, you know, I'd quite happily take a job at this point, is where I'm kind of going with this. Uh, if, if anyone's offering and is listening to this podcast, uh, just hit us up. Um, no one else is going to hear this other than our, our mates but hey Jimmy if you have a job going I'll, I'll come down and uh, I do like painting it's very therapeutic I hear um, maybe a block 2020 uh, appearance might be on the cards <laughs> but on the topic of horse racing there's a there's a special pub um, that comes in as our what do we call it we called it our, just our New Zealand Bar of the Week wasn't it I suppose so yeah, New Zealand Bar of the Week. There's a our local. Uh, it's just down the road, maybe 200, 200 metres. Nah, it's a little bit further than that. But for for the purposes of seeming very close, it's about 200 metres away. <laughs> and there's not many places where you can get a special jug for $10 of uh, Waka Changi, which was our number three, both of us, on our list last week or this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I don't even live in Christchurch, but I've been to Bambus Flat so many times where I now consider it my second home. Um, so yeah, it is my local to, in some capacity. Um, now this place is the horse and jockey, obviously in Rickerton. Uh, I'm not sure what street it's on. You could, you probably have a better idea of that. Yaldhurst Road. Road. There you go. It's like two Yaldhurst Road or something. The two Yaldhurst Road. That might not be accurate, but we'll, that's there. for there, the there for the purpose of this podcast, it that's accurate. Um, this pub. Look, as as Bamba said, it's got ten dollar jugs of Wakachangi. It's also got ten dollar jugs of Lime Brown. That's two bears in our top ten. Both of, I mean, top five. Sorry, both of our top fives. Uh, it's also got its own house house ale, I believe. And today that was eight dollars a jug. That is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Um, I've never seen a jug of eight dollars anywhere else in New Zealand. That's Wellington for you. This is Studentville. This is uh, the deep south. Uh, about as deep as I'd want to go. I don't really want to go much further than Christchurch, personally. Uh, the, the horse and jockey on Yordius Road is about as far south as you may find me, apart from maybe work, which is a little bit further south. Yeah, I mean, look, this place, um, it's got really all you need. Obviously, we've said the cheap drinks. It's also got a phenomenal horse racing area where it's got about three TV screens that display trackside one and trackside two. It's got a, a vast menu of cheap bar snacks. Um, and it's also uh, facilitated an app which allows you to select songs and ridiculously I took advantage of this about two hours ago and put on some really contentious music that got some comments from some local patrons yeah, so just to give you an idea of the kind of music that we put on, uh, Mysterious Girl by Peter Andre, declined. Mo Bamba, the explicit version, accepted. 
Uh, Old Town Road featuring Billy Ray Cyrus, accepted. The national anthem, both Māori and uh, English, accepted. So this is the kind of music we put on the horse and jockey hangers. It's just got a special place in our heart through the ability just to just to be a place where you can bet on trackside one and two. You can put contentious music on and ten dollar jugs. Look, the real the real defining characteristic in a bar for me is one the character and two the ability to facilitate me being a pest. And horse and jockey probably does that more for myself than any other bar I've encountered, especially in the South Island, but probably even in New Zealand. Which leads us into an, my next question. Uh, we're going to rate it as part of the segment. We, I think, what? Oh God, this is going to be embarrassing. I can't even remember what we put tipless. I think, I think it was a 7.3. I think 7.2. Yeah, so let's go 7.25. We're in the middle. The horse and jockey for me is better. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, it's $10 jugs at Tiplers, they're bigger jugs. I will put that out, but it is spates, and there's not the mean factor that Wakachanga has. And for me, the horse and jockey comes in a solid 8.1. Yeah, look, the mean factor obviously is, is huge. Um, I would agree that it's better than Tiplers. Uh, for one, it's got ventilation. Um, however, you can't vape inside in the horse and jockey, so that's got to bring it down a bit. I would go a firm. I'll give it a 7.8. Oh, harsh. No, 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 over the 8. What, what would put it over the 8 for you? Would it be the... the <laughs> I'm not going to mention it because you told me not to mention it, but uh, what would take it over 8? Um, look, I think it's quite small, uh, and that's hard to get past. Um, but that's intimate. You've got to have an intimate setting. Uh, that's underrated. Having a nice, close setting, you know the owner, he knows you, he doesn't ID you, he knows what you're going to order. You step up to the bar and he goes, yeah, that's a jug of wakachaki, thanks for coming. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I like bars that facilitate uh, live bands. Um, I like pool tables, you know, extracurricular sort of activities. And the the horse and jockey is so small where it really can't can't provide for any of that. Now you say this, and as a local, as you are, a semi-local, uh, it's, it's quite close to the old Studentville here, and a lot of clubs host uh, some events there, and we had a old, uh, oh, it's going to pass me now, I think it was a bingo night uh, for a club, and there was a good event, there was maybe about 50 people, and just recently, Bujar of the Radio Hodaki, they hosted an event there as well, and there would have been at least 100 people there. So you say it's uh, too small for events, but realistically it's hosted some pretty doozies in a time. I mean, I could be wrong there. I've only, admittedly, I've only been there twice and both with uh, cheeky drinks, and I think it does that very well. Um, but in terms of events, I mean, it is very small, and I'd probably rather not go there for a big event in that sense. Um, but, I mean... As I've said many times on this podcast, it does what it wants to do well, and I respect that a lot. So I'll stand by my my seven point eight, and uh, look, I mean it's hard for that to improve. Just the the uh, the size constrictions, I guess you'd say. But yeah, I mean I I respect that bar a lot. 
I respect your I respect your seven point eight. That's that's not my issue. It was just your reasoning, and uh, I think we have had some arguments in our time. And last, well, our last episode, I'm not going to say last week, it's probably going to get released at the end of this week if I edit it properly. Um, but we had, a, we we tried the list and we did the beer brands and we actually ended up agreeing on pretty much all of them, which was very contentious because the whole idea of the segment was to argue with each other and and we ended up switching to Pringle flavours, which it's really torn a divide between, between us. Um, having some vinegar in your top three, I think, I don't know if I can be friends with you anymore, and it might be uh, we said the first and last. It's going to be maybe the second and last, depending on what you answer here. We, as in, in honour of my horse losing my nose, we we wanted to look at the bad beats in sport, and I had a top three. I'll list my top three, and we'll we'll let you let you bad have a reply. So my top three, we went number three is the nose. I feel like your horse is all the way there, or your dog. It's so close, and then at the line it just gets pipped, or it doesn't get pipped, and you have to wait. There's a photo third, or a photo second, or a photo first. You got to wait until someone, and I'm not going to call out names here, but someone has to check the the line, and they call it wrongly, or in your opinion they call it wrongly because they don't show you sometimes the the photo finish. They might just just put it up there. They might look at who puts the most money on a certain dog or a certain horse, and we're not going to name names of the TAB, but um, they might not pay you out. And it was as simple as that sometimes, and that's pretty bad beat. That's number three for me. Number two, it's a penalty uh, in rugby. I feel like the Blues on, I think it was Friday night, I want to say. The Blues against the, oh, this is, oh, this is contentious. Like, we're going to say the Bulls. Someone's going to be like, you're fucking wrong. Uh, but the Bulls, they take a penalty from the five-meter line. I had the Blues 1-12. It was a, that was a real bad beat. Harry Plummer can't kick to save himself, so why take the three? Kick to the corner, put a little rolling more line, you'll score a try, and then that's the 1-12. to So that's number two on the bad beat list. And number one, I think it's the ultimate bad beat, is a 90-plus-minute winner in football. It happens more than you think. It really happens more than it should. Teams switch off. They think the game's over. And then somehow Troy Deeney sticks his toe into it. It goes in the bottom corner and it's 2-1 to Watford. Now, this is not a not me holding a grudge against a certain player, but it happens all the time. And even today, it wasn't a 95th minute winner or anything like that, but a penalty is pretty tough scene. And I feel like these are my three top three bad beats. What do you reckon the bandito? Uh, yeah, look, I think I think a lot of your points are really accurate. Um, well, for me, number three is going to be a penalty in football, a really contentious penalty. Um, that is an absolute dagger to a team when you've just had a shit penalty call, and that that puts you, especially when it's you know a tie game, and that's what gives you an advantage in a game. Or would you say maybe like the Champions League final or today's under-20 game? They're real bad beats just on its own, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe not like that. But but well, what what do you have to say? Well, some of us, it wasn't a bad beat. we we got a friend who we're going to call out by name, Anthony, uh, who bet on Colombia and the penalty shootout. And we're quite patriotic Kiwis and we'd never do that. That's a very different scenario. He called me out. I said if Leeds made the playoff final, I'd put $100 on the other team. 
And he's not wrong. I think that's emotional hedging. You've got to be prepared at either end of the spectrum. Before the game and during the game are very different things. And we both agree on this, uh, me and the bandit. And today he put it on during the game in Colombia to win the shootout. And I don't know what the odds were, but I feel very strongly that this is the wrong thing to do. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. There is a distinct difference between hedging pre-game on a on a result that you're really invested in on the other team. So, you know, just to to reduce your your depression effectively. Well, to reduce your emotional loss. It's really a, a reducing your emotional loss, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but then there's also a difference between that and betting during a penalty shootout. Um, especially on your own country or against your own country. That's yeah, that that rubbed me the wrong way. It rubbed both of us the wrong way. Yeah, and and to be honest, I do apologise, Anthony. Uh, I might have taken it a little bit too far. I was a bit upset. I feel like um, I was me and uh, the Blackjack Bandit were very invested in the under twenties this year, and as a part of that, we we felt very strongly about not betting against our favourite team and. I mean, I won money today. I was on the bet in the draw. I was drawing the win, sorry. And, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty high up on our bad beat list. So that was number three, the old penalty shout. What was your number two? Uh, number two, I mean, you can't go past a a buzzer beater when you're leading in, in basketball. Um, there's nothing that makes you more gutted than that. I, I, I mean, well, there's only one thing which I'll share later, but. Yeah, well, the, so I would just to put a little context to it. The uh, the bandito back in school was a big Philadelphia fan, and and just one trip to New York turned him, which is pretty contentious in its own right. But that's another story for another time. And just recently, Kawhi Leonard, the goat, uh, scored a buzzer beater against the Seventy Sixers, bounced off the rim what four times. That's pretty heartbreaking. If you're a 76ers fan, which you're not anymore, so we're just pointing that out. You, you're now a New York fan, which is even worse. The Knicks, was it the Knicks, the Giants, and the Yankees? The Yankees are doing all right, but the Giants and the Knicks, that's pretty punishing in its own right. And the what are you, are you a Rangers? Oh, no, he's a Rangers fan as well. So, yeah, I don't, I'll let you take it because buzzer beaters are a pretty tough scene, but you wouldn't know that because you're a Knicks fan. You're tanking anyway. Oh, yeah, look, okay, recently the Knicks have been subpar, to say the least, um, so I haven't had to experience that as a as a fan of a team myself, but I, I really feel, I mean, I think it was the 2017 uh, National Championship game, Villanova against North Carolina, uh, to lose in that fashion, the National Championship like that, uh, that can only be described as a tough scene. I'd like to liken it to my horse racing um, analogy. You, you, you lead for the last 100 metres. You know, you're up by two. And all of a sudden, just some freak show nails a three-pointer or some horse just sticks its neck out at the right time so it beats you at the line. They're both very bad beats, aren't they, really? Oh, and absolutely. And that actually brings me to my number one and my number one is your number three. It, it's it's being pipped on the nose when you got money on a horse. I mean, there's fandom, and then there's your own bank account. And as we're both degenerate gamblers, we often bet more money than we should, um, particularly on the horses because we really back ourselves. 
and it's really gutting when you know you've tipped a horse well, it's in the mix, and then it gets pipped on the nose. Well, seeing as we kind of agree on this, I'm going to drop a little topic on you, just an impromptu. We we try and have an agenda so we don't just chat absolute shit. We have too many hot takes and just kind of makes sense a little bit. But I would like to hear from you, Mr. Blackjack Bandit, your top three, well, I was going to say grounds, racetracks in the country. That'd be oh, That's what I want to hear. You've really put me on the spot here. Um... Look, I, I I feel like we're both going to have a certain number one. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start with number one because I've only really frequented one racetrack and that's that's my home ground, that's that's Trentham. Yeah, well, we've got some great memories, the Wellington Cup 2019 and I'd say seven years of, of schooling, uh, playing very mediocre sport, both of us, on the, the hallowed grounds that are Trentham Racecourse and just... Really rolling the arm over at lunchtime in the nets is just a special. That holds a special place in my heart, and I feel like Hibs, uh, Hibs. Well, well, now I'm changing the subject. Trevor Racecourse will really just never be our, uh, off our number one. So, and with that in mind, what is your number two and three? Uh, or number two and three, I guess it's my secondary home city of Christchurch. I guess I'm going to have to go number two. Uh, we'll go Rickerton. Um, yeah, well, look, I think there's there's a certain charm about Rickerton um, being the third biggest city in the country's only trots track. Um, the, obviously, the elite form of, of racing. You So, hang on, hang on. Let me just clarify. You're saying Rickerton is trots. Do you, do you want to lock that in, or are you saying that wrongly? I'm not sure now. You've, you've put a lot of doubt into my head. Well, Rickerton is um, gallops, and Addington is trots, and Addington's also dogs. Oh no! Okay, no, I, I've said that wrong. Yeah, I'm thinking gallops. Sorry, use the wrong term. You know. Okay. Um, yeah. Not a big harness fan personally, so you know you've only got the choice between Addington and Rickerton, and I'm picking Rickerton. Now I'm going to be a little contentious here. I also am in agreement with you that gallops are a lot better than trots, but the ability to have both uh, trots and dogs at the same venue, which also then doubles, and this should not be taken lightly, it doubles as the rugby ground. Addington just has that you know, next level up. I've only been to Reckoning myself once. I really enjoy my time there. Lost a lot of money. We're not going to comment on that. That's uh, That will stay for another day. But Addington and, uh, well, just Addington, <laughs> this is, that's what it is. It's the dogs and the trots and the rugby. It's, it's hard to beat, and that will be my number two. And that's a little bit contentious because I'm not a big trots fan, but it does get up there just for its versatility, really. No, okay, yeah, I can respect that. I can really respect that. But I'm not a huge trots fan and not a huge dogs fan just based on... Well, it's, it's opposite ends of the spectrum. Dogs is too random for me that it's hard to tip, and then trots is too consistent that the favourite wins that it's just quite boring, and there's not a huge amount of money to be made, really. See, I, I agree with you that trots is it is always the favourite. I'll throw back to my favourite trots horse, the Capity Express, uh, winning in Palmerston North a couple of times. It's holds a special place in my heart. But I'd say dogs is the same. I, I feel like it's not that random. 
it really depends on your start. Once you start, sort of, that's that's where you're at. Like a lot of, I'd say nine times out of ten, your favourite is in the top three, if not the top two. I mean, yeah, perhaps, but I mean, you've always got that runaway favourite dog uh, who's always going to be in the top three, and they'll be paying like a dollar twenty to place, and it's just it's not as interesting as the trots where anything can happen really if you if you know what you're doing. So you're saying only a, a, a degenerate would bet on dogs, namely the Fonganui dogs and Lisa Cole in particular. Are we are we calling out one person one person who probably won't listen to this, which is going to be even funnier? Is this where is this where it's going? Yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't angling towards that, but now you say that, yeah, well, this person will go unnamed, but very big advocate of the dogs. This person and me personally, I'm. Not the world's biggest fan of the dogs. Just, I mean, I disagree that the the dog who's the favourite always wins. I think, as you said, the start no, matters a lot. Well, I mean, just the nature. Yeah, I'll accept that. But just the nature that it's not controlled by a human, a la a, um, a trots or a gallops. Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's just the way it goes. So it's not controlled by Allah or God. Is that where you're getting? That's that's what I heard. That's pretty hot take by you. No, it's it's all controlled by Gandhi actually. Gandhi. Uh, Gandhi. Um, and Gandhi watches over all races. And oh, I prefer the Church of Our Jehovah's Witness, uh, which we both had a a great experience with in Dunedin. Um, I'm sure everyone's had this before with the old knock on the door uh, at home it's the old ring of the bell and you, you have the, the I guess the misfortune or the uh, misplated guidance to open that said door and you get stuck talking to someone and now one of our mates flatmates doesn't know how to say no um, so this guy well, what are we saying about 15 minutes it was about that yeah so I'll leave the Blackjack Bandit to tell his story and then we'll come back to me, but we try getting rid of him in our unique ways, but, well, we'll you'll see how it turned out. Yeah, look, okay, so Dunedin, the Mormon capital of New Zealand, is, I think, is, is semi-well-known. Um, you, you get the occasional religious door knocker, um, and in this instance, a individual of the Mormon uh, religion, he knocked on the door of our friend's flat while we were staying there on a Friday night. It was very cold and just really wouldn't leave our mate's flatmate alone. Um, and he was too nice to turn him away. He was talking about the, the type of people that go to hell um, and, you know, just just didn't get the hint that no one was interested. Now, I, I, I was not really listening. It was the old eavesdropping situation. But did I hear rightly that he said alcoholics and uh, gamblers? Uh, it wasn't just alcoholics and gamblers. It was it was all sorts of people, um, you know. Adulterers. Yeah, oh, I mean, like womanizers, and I just think you, you're aiming for the wrong target market if you're talking to a target university student. You're saying that womanizers are going to to hell, especially yourself, the bandit. You know, the, the womanizers. You know, I think that's at that point you got to really just stop talking to you, but. What did you do? Um, now we we both had our unique ways of trying to get rid of this fella, uh, mainly because our flatmates mate, well flatmates flatmate, just oh no our mates flatmate. Sorry, I got there in the end. He just didn't know how to say no. Um, this guy just hung around. So how did you try to get rid of him? 
Uh, well, first I'd like to point out that I'm not a womanizer, thank you. <laughs> I respect women, especially my girlfriend. Um, look, that was uncalled for also. Um, so, I, I, I saw that our friend's flatmate was in dire need of some assistance. Yeah, to say the least, he was in a bit of trouble. Um, so, as you do, when in Dunedin, you just rock up there with a with a beverage in your hand um, and a a vape device, and you just with one breath you take a sip, you swallow, and then you take a hit of vape, and then you you spit it in their face. It's not your vape, is it? No, no, it's not my vape. Um, Oh, so how did the rest of that story go? So you were you're standing with said flatmate or mate's vape and with a beer in one hand. So where'd you go from there? Um, so yeah, I just just basically kept blowing this into his face, hoping that he would get the hint that we're not actually that interested. Um, but he was really determined actually. Um, and he just wouldn't bugger off, so I eventually left, and I had passed it over to Bamba. Yeah, so from my end of the, end of the stick, where I'd watched uh, the bandit be unsuccessful, which was bizarre in its own right. I thought, really thought that'd be the way to get rid of this individual. And we're watching the TV, and I go, "Hang on, I've got an idea." So I stand up, go to the fridge, grab a can of. Tom's number one beer, mine, I think it was my number three, I want to say. We got the Walker Changi one wrong. I think we were number four on that, but that's, yeah, it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, and I grab a can of lime brown. I go to the door. Would you like a beer, sir? Oh, no, I'm all right, thanks. All right. And I just dropped a knee, opened the beer, sculled it. I'm going to say sculled it fully. Really wasn't, but uh, for the purposes of the story, I sculled it fully. Didn't leave still, and uh, poor poor flatmate's mate was just standing there having a yarn and hearing about all the types of ways that probably the whole flat was going to hell because it's Dunedin and that's the, the way that shooters roll down there. So I don't know where how we got to this point, but more of the story is just don't answer the door. I think. Um, yeah, you got any any final points on the story to raise there, the bandit? Um, yeah, look. Um to all Mormons in Dunedin trying to recruit students to to the Mormon religion. Um, good luck. Well, good luck and, yeah, you're wasting your time, really. Um, don't know what you're expecting, really, when you're saying all that stuff about who's going to hell, and that really makes up the entire demographic of Otago University students. So, yeah. yeah. It's a bit punishing, isn't it, really? Like, at the end of the day... Nice idea. Poor guy was walking around and what? Well, we've already talked about how cold it was down there. It would have been about maybe two degrees. Not the... Uh, I was going to make a real bad joke about the telephone company. I'm just going to hold fire on that. Uh, yeah, no, it's a good finish. I think that's where we should probably end the podcast. Uh, we've, we've covered a few things. Uh, Steph Curry's a cut. New Zealand athletes will be prime ministers. <laughs> Horse racing in general and just great pubs and bad beats so on that note I think uh, it's a thank you from me cheers for listening to our second podcast if anyone actually reaches it to that this point that'd be the, the interesting thing to find out should put like a little password at the end to 
see if anyone actually made it. So what do you reckon that should be? Yeah, I, I think you should use um, promo code. Uh, 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 we'll go. Lime Brown. Yeah, promo code Lime Brown to get a firm handshake from me and Bamba uh, the next time I see you. So, yeah. You've got to remember that we are both one half of the duo. That is probably the greatest handshake. So it's a pretty good offer. I think uh, if you have made it to 58 minutes, uh, 48 minutes in, it's a good effort because we've talked some absolute rubbish. So good on you. Thank you very much for listening and stay tuned. There's going to be some, some special times ahead, I'm sure.